Our scripture this morning comes out of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. You can follow along in your own Bibles. Uh, we would encourage you to do that, or there digitally in a digital Bible, or in, if you want to be old-fashioned and get you out a paper Bible and uh, read it along. Elise is uh, reading our scripture for us this morning. Again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life, that we might be people of life. And now, God, hide me behind your cross, that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. I remember as a young boy taking one of the, one of the throw pillows that was on our beautifully... Uh, multicolored uh, uh, couch that had flowers all around it. I remember taking one of those uh, fuzzy pillows and putting it down on our, on our old linoleum floors. The, our, our, the linoleum floors in, my, in the house that I grew up in, my parents' house, uh, ran from one end of the house all the way to the other end of the house. And it was a, it was a kind of a, almost a fake uh, brick, almost a small red tile uh, linoleum is what it was. And I remember throwing that pillow on the floor and laying on my back and putting my head on that pillow and, and then pushing myself all along that floor all through the house. I remember going from, from one end of the house all the way to the other end of the house and staring up at the ceiling and imagining what it might be like if the world was turned upside down. Imagining what it might be like if, if, I, could, if I was walking along the ceiling, how, our, how that house would, would look differently, how, how the doorways would, well, I'd have to step over the doorways instead of stepping through the doorways, how, the, uh, how, the, how there's no kitchen up there, and it just, it just boggled my mind. I remember, I remember spending hours and hours on, on my back looking up at the ceiling, uh, pushing my way all through all through our house and, and just imagining what it would be like if, the, if, if our house was upside, if our house was upside down. It wasn't a, it wasn't a reality that I, was, uh, that, that, I, that I was experiencing. It was just a, it was a different perspective that I was experiencing. I, I, could, I could imagine if that was really the reality. 
Today we're beginning a new sermon series, and, and the title of the sermon series is Best Sermon Ever. Now, hear me, I am not claiming that any of these sermons that I will be preaching are, is the best sermon ever. I, I know myself better, much better than that. But we are looking at, at, the, um, uh, at, at the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is known as, as, the, as, as one of the great discourses of, really, of, of history and, and especially in the life of Jesus. This is Jesus' largest discourse. This is His longest sermon. Likely it was made up of, um, likely the sermon was, was longer. It may have been pieced together by, by Matthew and Luke of some of His other teachings, but more than likely it was part, at least uh, the synopsis of, a, of, of, one of, his grand, of one of His grand teachings. And what, what, what I found about, uh, about the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is that it is incredibly, incredibly practical. Incredibly practical. Now, one of the reasons that I'm preaching this sermon series now, um, you know, we just got through with a three-part series on, on fear, and, and as I was planning that series, I thought, well, gosh, by the second week of May, we'll be back together, and I'll be able to uh, I'll be able to preach this in person. But um, what I found is that uh, life is going to continue, <laughs> whether we are able to meet in person and worship in person or not. Life is just simply going to life is simply going to continue, and so we are continuing on. Uh, and um, and so anyway, we're we're taking a fresh look, I believe, at this sermon. On the Mount. Again, the Sermon on the Mount is, is practical, really practical living of the Christian life. I, th- I think James would, would say uh, this, I think it mirrors what he says, to be doers of the Word. It, it's, not, it's not as if Jesus came to set up some sort of philosophy or thought, thought uh, concept or a new, an, an, some, sort of, some sort of new religion. That's not what Jesus came to came to do. In his teaching, what he primarily did was he put, um, he put the, the faith, the faith of uh, the Jewish faith and, and the, the gospel, he put that into practical living, and that's what we have. That's what we have here in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a, it, it, it explains the ethos or the values of Christ followers. So, so over the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at this, at this greatest sermon ever, this best sermon ever. As we, as we approach Matthew chapter 5, uh, Matthew's gospel has already, has already seemed to be moving at an alarming rate. Following Jesus' baptism, in chapter 4 alone, we see Jesus fasting in the, in, the, in the desert for 40 days and nights, resisting temptation on three different occasions, and, and finally calling his disciples. And then, almost immediately, we find hordes of people following Jesus. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to them. And then he began to teach, and he taught them. It's as, it's as if this, this gospel is, is thrust upon us, and at the very beginning of his ministry, the very beginning of his ministry is this Sermon on the Mount. In these 
111 verses, Jesus delivered what has been labeled the kingdom manifesto. Beginning with the Beatitudes, Jesus introduced a new and radical philosophy of relating to the Heavenly Father. Faith was no longer a, 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 a legalistic code of restricted behavior or, or based on going to the temple and performing religious rites or having someone perform re- religious animal sacrifices on your, on your behalf. But now, now in, in light of the Sermon on the Mount, now it was a living covenant that promised blessing. That's what faith was. Faith became a living covenant that promised blessings. A common reading of this Sermon on the Mount, especially especially by Protestantism, is that this sermon's high ethical demands are, are meant to show us the impossibility, the impossibility of being good, of creating a crisis that makes us flee to Christ and His grace and righteousness. Jesus' call to never lust or hate. Jesus' call to turn the other cheek when attacked. Jesus' call to do pious acts with perfect God-centered motives. Jesus' call to not worry about the future, to never judge others. All these are impossible to do perfectly. And so this shows us our desperate need for Christ's saving work in our lives, or so the story goes. While the impossibility of earning salvation and the need for radical grace are true, indeed those are true, that we can never be perfect on our own. We must rely upon God's grace. Those things are true, but I think when we approach the Sermon on the Mount that way, we absolutely miss the point of the Sermon on the Mount. The sermon is not, to use Martin Luther's categories, law that makes us see our need for gospel. Rather, it's wisdom from God inviting us through faith to reorient our values and our visions and our habits from the ways of external righteousness to wholeheartedness toward God. This isn't law, the Sermon on the Mount. It is gospel. It is good news. It is a reorienting of our world. It is a reorienting of our lives. No longer. No longer are we to hate, but we are to love. No longer are we to, uh, to say that those who mourn are cursed, but now we are to say that those who are mourning are blessed. Those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness are blessed. No longer are we, are, are we to say that we are to get back at those who ha- wish to harm us, but instead we are called to forgive those. That's a reorienting of our world or a reorienting of our of our faith. And this best sermon ever, it begins with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. The term Beatitudes comes from the the Latin word beati, which means happy or rich or blessed. And so that's a trans, that's a, uh, the beati is the uh, translation, the Greek or the Latin translation of the, of the Greek word makarios, which is also often translated as blessed. But what does blessed really mean? Again, these, the, each one of these uh, beatitudes 
begins with that word blessed or blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Many, many people translate blessedness or to be blessed means to be happy or to be joyful. God wants me to be happy? Well, we, we often hear that phrase in our, do, in our day, usually as an excuse for some sort of behavior that the individual knows is wrong. Well, well God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? And so we go and do whatever we want to do because surely God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be blessed, we say. Is that all, is that, is that all there is? That God wants me to be happy? As if God's ultimate, ultimate purpose is to make me happy and to, and to make you happy? It seems that many, if not most Americans, have, have bought into the Wall Street version of happiness, and we are pursuing it with a vengeance. We see this ideal set forth in the, in the 2006 movie, The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. I, I absolutely love that movie. It's a, the movie is based on the real life of Chris Gardner and is, a, and is the record of his epic journey from, from rags to riches. In the minds of of many Americans, the pursuit of, of happiness is, is unconsciously equated with the, with the pursuit of wealth and security. And, and that thought, that thought, the pursuit of happiness means that, well, we are to pursue security and, and wealth. That thought has pervaded even Christian theology. This happiness theology is often called the prosperity gospel. This, this, this theology, if, if it can be called a theology at all, is, 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 stitched, is a stitched together, homegrown theology, and is centered on the insistence that God's top priority is to shower blessings on Christians in this lifetime. But the word blessed, indeed, it, indeed it can mean happiness, but the blessedness that Jesus speaks of in the Beatitudes is so much more than just a feeling of happiness. Jesus here pronounces true blessings upon all of those who follow him. The blessing of God's favor, the perfect peace, the shalom that belongs to those who rest in God's trust and trust in him alone. One of the fascinating things that in the, both the Greek and Hebrew, there is no such, there's no such thing as the meaning, uh, as, as the word are. And so in Greek and Hebrew, it doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the, the kingdom of, uh, in, inherit the earth, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's no word are in either Greek or Hebrew. The translators have, have added that. And Jesus didn't speak Greek, or um, in, instead he spoke Aramaic, which is a type of Hebrew, but there would have been a phrase that he and his listeners would, would have been familiar with, and I think it catches really at, at, the, at the very heart of, of what I think maybe a better translation is. They would have known this phrase, 
Oh, the blessedness. Oh the, oh, the blessedness of the poor in spirit. Oh, the, the blessedness of those who mourn. Oh, the blessedness of the meek. Oh, the blessedness of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I, I, I think there's a, there's a bit of a nuance a, 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 of, of meaning here between blessed are those who, as opposed to, oh, the blessedness. Oh, the blessedness of the poor. Oh, the blessedness of those who mourn. The Beatitudes are not saying, you will be blessed if you live like this. But rather, it, these are pronouncements of, 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 what is, of what is the experience in the here and now of Christians. This is the essence of life in God's kingdom, the joy of the Christian life here and now, as well as in the hereafter. Where God is present, this is what happens. When God is present, there's blessing upon those who are mourning. When God is present in the kingdom of God, there is blessedness in those who are poor in spirit. When God is present, there is blessedness upon the meek. When the kingdom is here, there is blessedness upon those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In the kingdom of God, there is blessedness upon the merciful and upon the pure in heart and upon the peacemakers and upon those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In these Beatitudes, we find, we find eight blessings, and, and, and attached to each one of those are conditions that, that don't make sense to us at all in the beginning. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now, that doesn't make sense at all. You would think that Jesus would say, blessed are those who are rich in spirit. You would think that Jesus would not say, blessed are those who mourn, but instead, blessed are those who are joyful. You would think not that Jesus would say, blessed are the meek, but instead, Jesus would say, blessed are the bold. You wouldn't think that Jesus would say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You would think he would say, blessed are those who are full of righteousness. You see, these things don't make sense to us at all, but the kingdom doesn't make sense. When God is present... Oh, there is blessedness because the great reversal occurs. Oh, indeed, indeed, those who, are, those who are joyful instead of in mourning, those who are joyful, they're blessed. But the kingdom of God, not just those who are joyful are blessed, but those who are mourning are blessed. It's not just those who are bold in their faith who are blessed, but indeed in God's kingdom, even the meek are blessed. It's not just that, 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 that those who are full of, of righteousness, they're blessed, but indeed in God's kingdom where God reigns, even those who are hungry, even those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, they are, they are blessed. These first four, these first four beatitudes seem like they, like they go together. It seems like they go together. There's a progression from one to the next. What, 
Chrysostom, an early teacher in the church, called a, a golden chain. He said, first we confess our need, then we confess our sin, next we submit ourselves to God, then we long for God's will and His ways. Did you get that? It's a golden chain here. It progresses from one to the next, Chrysostom says. First we confess our need for Him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit, they recognize they have an, we have an intense need for our Savior. First we confess our need, then we confess our sin. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are mourning over their sin. Next we submit ourselves to God. Blessed are the meek. Those who are submitting themselves to God, not coming with self-righteousness, but instead coming with lowly meekness. And then we long for God's will and His ways. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These first four belong together, and then the next four belong together as well. second set deals with one's relationship with with other people. When others are treated with humility and with purity and with peace and forgiveness, then we are all blessed. Not only are, are they blessed by our, by our humility and our purity and our peace and our forgiveness, but we are, we are blessed as well. If you follow our natural inclinations, the Beatitudes would, would read something like this. Happy are the rich, for, for they believe they have it all. Happy are the carefree, for they don't worry about anything. Happy are the arrogant, for people defer to them. Happy are the hard-hearted, for they pity no one. Happy are they that can care nothing about justice, for they only care for themselves. Happy are the wicked, for they care nothing about God. Happy are the violent, for they don't care about belonging to God. Happy are those who persecute others, for, they, for the only kingdom they think about is their own. But through the grace of the Holy Spirit, Christ has reversed that theme in our world. No longer are those who are the mighty and the powerful. No longer are they who are blessed, but instead it is the great reversal those who are last will be first. The meek, the for, those who are peacemakers, those who are offering forgiveness, the humble, the pure, those are who are blessed. Ultimately, ultimately what these beatitudes really are, they are pronouncements. They are pronouncements of our legacy and genetic makeup as Christians, as Christ followers. Who we are, who we are is what we find here in these Beatitudes. At our very core, in our, in, in, in our makeup of, of who we are as Christ followers, that genetic makeup, that DNA material, those deep-seated values in our lives, <coughs> we find in the Beatitudes. This is our legacy. It's, these are, this is who we are at our very core. Ben Hooper was a 
He was a, a young man born to a single mother in the foothills of, of East Tennessee. This was during a time when uh, single mothers and their children were ostracized and, and criticized. Other children or other parents did not allow their children to play with this young boy, little Ben. He was known as a bastard child. As he grew older, the kids mocked Ben with questions like, Hey, Ben, did you ever find out who your daddy was? He was forced to stay in during recess at school, avoiding all social interaction at recess, for he knew when he was at recess he would, he would be picked on tirelessly. The attacks would be brutal to that young boy's self-esteem. At lunch, Ben ate by himself. And it was, it was big news when anything changed in the foothills of East Tennessee. And so it was, it was big news when a, when a preacher came, when a new preacher came to town. Ben had never been, he had never been to church before, but he, there, was so much, uh, there was so much great news about this, about this new preacher that, that Ben decided as a young boy that he was going to go to church. And so he would, he would slip in after church started so as not to be able to not have to interact with anyone. He slipped in at the, back of the, at the back of the sanctuary after worship began. He always sat way back at the back, and, and he would stay as quiet as a church mouse, and then he would slip out before the worship service was over. And he went for five or six weeks, and, and each week he began, to hear the, he began to hear the gospel message that God, that God, through Jesus Christ, loved him. He had never known. He had never known the love of a father. He had never known the unconditional love of a parent. But here he was hearing about this unconditional, life-changing love of God, that God loved even him, this, this bastard child, God loved even him. On the sixth week he was there at church, he, he was so enthralled with the worship service. He was so enthralled with the worship service that he forgot what time it was and he stayed past the end of the worship service. So as he was making his way out, frantically realizing that he was there along with everybody else, and again, everybody in town knew exactly who he was. And as he was trying to slip out quietly, he felt a, a large hand on his shoulder. And he looked up, and it was the preacher. And the preacher said, well, young man, I don't think I've seen, I don't think I've seen you around here today. Tell me, who's your daddy? The crowd the crowd around him remained silent. They gasped. They could hardly wait to see what this young little Ben would say. Ben was thinking to himself, You? Even you, preacher? I thought you were different. I thought you were different than all of these people. And the preacher said, Oh, I know who your daddy is. It was striking resemblance to him. You have a loving, heavenly Father. You look just like Him. Live out that resemblance. That's what the Beatitudes are. This is who we are. These are the attributes of our heavenly Father. This is the genetic makeup of, of you and me as Christ followers. Go out, go out and live it out. 
Would you bow with me? Oh, Lord, we feel that hand upon our shoulder. Oh, I know whose boy you are. I know whose girl you are. I can see that family resemblance. You're a child of God. Go out and live it up. Oh Lord, as we take to heart these beatitudes, as we take to heart these pronouncements of blessedness, oh the blessedness, oh the blessedness of mourning, oh the blessedness of being poor in spirit, oh the blessedness of being meek, oh the blessedness of being hungry and thirsty for righteousness, Oh, the blessedness of being merciful. Oh, the blessedness of of being pure in heart. The blessedness of being peacemakers. God, help each one of us live into that reality. To live out this genetic makeup of Christ followers. God, come, Holy Spirit, and empower us to live this out each and every day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.